I knew that I needed to speak this week. And of course, yeah, the Spirit leads mom to speak first and before me, so now you're gonna get me crying. But anyway, uh, seriously, like I, I thank you guys for all the prayers and everything, and um, just amazing God's faithfulness to me. You know, through the whole thing, I never questioned the sovereignty of God. It's never been that. The sovereignty of God to me is has never been something that I've ever really dealt like thinking. Like I know for a fact that God is in absolute control of everything. The thing that I always questioned was his goodness toward me. And so I was reading, actually this morning I was reading this from Psalm 89 and it says, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of, of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of who God is. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O oh Lord, God of heaven's army, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O oh Lord? You are entirely faithful. God is always faithful to us. And so what I consider to be good in my life, what I define as good, is based off of the knowledge that I have, which is absolutely is limited. And God's knowledge is, is unlimited. And so whenever something happens in our lives, we may look at it and we may say that is not good, but God can see what is going to happen. He can see the end from the beginning. And so he, everything that he is doing, he is doing for your good. He is absolutely faithful. Listen, if you are standing here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is because before the foundation of the world, God chose you and he set his affections upon you. And he set his affections upon you knowing how much you, you were going to fail, knowing how much I was going to sin against him, knowing every moment of my life that I was going to run from him and I was going to try to find something else to satisfy my soul. But he knew that if he would send his son Jesus to die in my place, that he could redeem me and he would redeem me. And so he will be and he always will be faithful toward his people. There is no question about it. No question at all. God loves me, even though he knows the worst of me. And so today, can we be like the psalmist whenever he said, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. It's always super intimidating to come up here with the microphone. I don't know why it's like if you hold it far away or something like that, but um, I'm going to try to say this like without crying, but um, when we were singing that song, What He Has Done, I just, my gosh, I got overwhelmed. Um, okay, so I am going to cry, but um, <laughs> Caleb went to camp um, 
for his first time ever. <laughs> and um, he came back a different person. And, you know, he's a good kid and stuff like that. But his worship changed. Like, the songs that he hears um, about God touch his heart in a different way now. And it was because of camp. And so, and I think about that song, what he's done, I think he, he taught my son how to worship him. And I just think that is so awesome. He's had like friends come over and they would just blast worship music for like hours, it seemed. They were just doing the same ones over and over and they were singing the songs and, and, and now he has like this playlist that's like three and a half hours long of just worship songs and he just loves it. And that wouldn't have happened if it would have been for camp. So I am so thankful. And he, uh, I got to watch like the live stream of Thursday or whatever. And I saw him like go forward and he was crying and it was ripping my heart out because I was like, why is my son crying? What is going on in his head? But I later found out, you know, what it was and everything. And God was just speaking to him about some things that he needed to change in his life. And, you know, I just... I'm so thankful for that. And so that is what God has done um, in my son's life. <laughs> and ultimately, that is something that I praise God for because um, just to have that and just to know that he has been changed. It's a little bit different in his worship to God and uh, just feels like he can do that is, is awesome. And now he's down in Fredericktown at another girl's church. Because of camp. Yeah, we, we got on to him yesterday about that. Aren't you thankful for what God has done? And aren't you thankful he's not done doing it? I just whispered a prayer, God, what you've done. And Caleb continued to do in our youth. Continued to expand their hearts. Not just our youth, our adults continue to stretch us and make us vessels that are filled with you, that we can worship you and know you better, to, so we can obey you better. It's the only hope we have. By the way, I love Mitch's, what a testimony. Man, this, that's what gathering's about. It's not about a band going to lead some songs, a preacher's going to preach. It's about the family of God coming together and going, here's what God's done in our hearts this week. God is bringing children back home. God is speaking and he's healing and he's he's working and, and it's a place for us to come and testify of his word and his works and together go amen glory to god right we don't want that to stop we want more of that we want to get to the place where we have to say guys if we don't stop you guys can be mad because we're gonna be here all day we want you guys to say but we have so much to say about him i preached at a conference friday night and i said the church should not have to beg the Christians to talk about Jesus. The world should be begging us to shut up about Jesus. Because we, he's done so much. And we've been silent for so long. Thank God for what he's done. Thank God that he's our living hope. Amen. It's not too weird. Thank you so much. And, and Jeff is retiring, has retired after how many years? So he's not here to boast. 
that no. you guys have to go and he doesn't. I'm boasting. I'm He's boasting. here to pray and ask God's blessings. All right, first thing I want to tell you before we pray is um, in 25 years, kind of the mentality of, of parents is God is not in our schools because that's what the politics tell us, that God is not in our schools. I'm here to tell you that is not true. Um, I have witnessed so many times watching principals, teachers, parents pray with kids in our schools. Our superintendent is a, is a Christian. She prays on a daily basis. And I can tell you this happens all across the country. So if anyone le is led to believe that God is not in our schools, that is not true. He is there. He is there. And you need to know as parents that as you, when you send your kids to school, that it's, it's kind of hard because you're like, oh, I, I, I'm not sure that these people can protect them. Well, it's not our job to protect them. It's God's job to protect them. And he will have faith in him. So but please bow your head. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today because we are ready, we're, parents are ready to send our kids back to schools. Uh, some of those students are prepared. They're prepared emotionally, socially, uh, academically. Others are not. And God, we, are, we, we just want you to, to step in, be all around us, be all around our students. Um, God, it's difficult because these students will face challenges because they are young and they've not seen certain things. And they're going to have challenges that are beyond what any parent can help. They're, they're going to face challenges beyond anything that their best friend can help with. God, please show yourself to them at those times that they will have faith in you, that they will trust you. And it will be difficult, God. And God, I'm just so grateful for the students who go to school and who worship you even at school. Because it doesn't matter where we're at. It just, it always, you've said, where two or more gather in my name, I will be there too. And God, we are, there are more than two of us right here. And there's more than two in a classroom. You will be there. Please protect them. God, there's so much bad out there in the world. There's just nothing that as a parent can do. There's nothing that a principal can do. There's nothing that teachers can do. We can't stop gun violence. We can't stop a lot of things from happening. But you can. We're sending these students to school where you will be, God. We ask that you protect them, guide them, have them turn Bless. to you when they need you, not their best friend, not their parent, but to you, God. We ask that you do this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me just say to you guys, we try to say this every year, right, because we're a family of servant missionaries here, and so you're not going into the school just as students. You're not going into the schools just as teachers or admin, or you're not homeschooling just because... Your moms, and you want to love your kids, and you want to teach them well at home, wherever you're at. Listen, you're servants and you're missionaries. So you go into your schools, and you go and you teach. Are you teachers? You go and you teach these kids, and kids, you go in your schools, and you let Jesus serve others through you the way He has served you. Amen. Yes. All right. God bless you. Hey, give my hand. <laughs> kids are going to be going to class. Now, I'm so thankful Jeff said that about. That, that's just that old line. Well, things aren't the same since they got, took God out of the schools. And I'm thinking, are you serious? We've got that small of a mentality of who God is that a government can tell. No government can tell God where he can and cannot go. If God's not in the schools, it's because Christians aren't in the schools. Because Christians, spirit-empowered people, where they are, God is. Okay? So if your school don't have God, it's because your kid or your teacher don't have God. All right, that's a, I'm not going to preach that sermon. That was good. That was good. That was good. All right, well, good morning. 
It is so good to be back with my family. Listen, I love being away because I get to preach the gospel to new faces. I'll preach the gospel wherever they invite me, but I really, really mean this. There is no place like home. This is, this is where my heart is, and this is where I love to be, and Anthony has done a fantastic job preaching the past few weeks. Okay, two people, all right. I am thankful for men here at Journey that can and are willing to step up and um, preach faithfully in my absence. In fact, as, as I was out this week just doing a prayer walk, I was giving thanks for my brother, Tony. And something shiny caught my eye as I was walking. And directly in front of me was this bush. And in this bush was a balloon. I was like, are you serious, God? There, there's a balloon. And on this balloon, there was a message, and I didn't know exactly what God was trying to communicate to me, but it says, Tony is a knucklehead. <laughs> and I'm like, that can't, that can't be a coincidence because I know a Tony. I'm friends with a Tony, and he just recently preached a message on balloons, and it was almost like God was trying to tell me something, and, and so I kept walking. Would you believe me? Directly in front of me was another bush and another balloon, and I picked the balloon up, and sure enough, it says, seriously, knucklehead, and there was a picture of Tony. <laughs> that didn't really happen. I'm just kidding. Come on, that's funny though. And if you're not here, if you wasn't here last week, you're like, that's the dumbest thing. I don't even understand what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> Facebook. Facebook. Ah, man. Thank you, buddy. Love you. Thank you for uh, filling in for me and being faithful to preach. Uh, so this will be my fifth sermon this week. And I will confess to you that I am physically and mentally tired but spiritually, I've been renewed. And I don't know how to explain. It's not like, a, like you, you know, I'm a preacher, so I don't haul hay or I don't lift heavy machinery all week. So it's not like, a, like an exhaustion. It's just a, a drainage. I don't know how to explain it. Like when you get done preaching, there, there's just nothing left. Like I've sweat everything out. I could sweat and you just go home. Last week, I preached two sermons on a Sunday morning and, and I went home and ate lunch with uh, my in-laws and I was like, I couldn't move. I <laughs> wow, I'm glad we don't have two services at Journey because this is, this, that was pretty tough. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was physically and mentally tired, but spiritually it was a renewing week for me. And, and God has taken this opportunity to graciously remind me of a very important life principle. Uh, and I think this is probably true, not probably, this is a life principle is, that is true for every single one of us in this room. And Jeff's gonna put it on the screen. Uh, complacency breeds sin. Complacency breeds sin. As Christians, when we separate ourselves from Christ's mission or choose not to do what God has called us to do, we are setting ourselves up for a spiritual fall. The image I had uh, this week in my mind is a soldier on the front lines of the battlefield. Question, who is more apt to become complacent as a soldier, the one on the front lines engaged in battle or the one resting back home comfortably on base. Both are soldiers, true, 
Both are soldiers, but one is fighting for their lives and the lives of their fellow soldiers and the lives of their loved ones, while the other remains inactive and just goes about his normal military routine, his normal military life. Which one of you, which one of those do you think is more prone to grow complacent and complain about life? Which one do you think is more prone to find themselves in places they shouldn't be or doing things they shouldn't do? Not the one fighting because they're down in the trenches with just one thing on their mind, war, survival, right? And this is not a far stretch for us, by the way, because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that we are good soldiers of Christ, And the problem is we have too many Christians sitting comfortably in the church. That is if they can get out of bed or they don't have anything better to do that day. And all we do is complain about the government and complain about culture and complain about our neighbor or worse, we become drunks or adulterers or gossips. Why? Because complacency breeds sin. You know which Christian doesn't have time to sit around complaining and gossiping and drinking too much or committing sexual sin or anything else? The one down in the trenches engaged in gospel warfare. The ones on the front lines advancing the kingdom of God. God did not call us to follow him so we could attend church once a week. He called us to be his disciples living on mission for him every single day. I'm not saying that Christians don't sin. We do. And there's grace for our sin. In Christ, we are no longer condemned because he took our sin, all of it, to the cross. And he sufficiently suffered for our guilt and our shame. I'm saying complacency within the mission that God has given to us as his people leads us to sinful and destructive lives. Our complacency with the word and the works of Jesus leads us to sinful and destructive outcomes. And our only hope is to get off our butts, join the battle, and get on mission for Jesus. You can't just pray your way out of complacency. It's a good start. But you, it's, it's like I say all the time. It's, it's good to get on our knees and pray that God blesses DeSoto. But at some point, you got to get off your knees and go be a blessing to DeSoto. Right? Good soldiers of Christ don't have time to be complacent. They're too busy being disciples who are down in the trenches making other disciples and living on mission for Jesus every day, day in and day out. So we don't need something new. We don't need something more exciting in our lives. We need to repent of our complacency and believe the gospel again and go to war for the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm physically and mentally tired, but I am fired up this week because I have had the privilege to be on the front lines. And you know what that's done to me? It's three things. It's, it, it's, number one, it's made me repent of my own complacency. And as a result, my own sin. My sinful behaviors, my sinful beliefs. Number two, it has reminded me again of who I am in Christ, my gospel identity, leading people daily, loving people as God has loved me, serving people as I have been served and being empowered by the Spirit to make much of Jesus in word and deed. And thirdly, it has made me, and I love this, it has made me think forward, not just as a church, like vision for the church, but forward for vision for me and my family of how we can better live on mission for Jesus in our everyday lives because I had become complacent. And today's text that we are going to unpack together is such a good reminder of God's mission 
and why he came down to dwell among us and what the mission is for the church. And my prayer is that through today's message, we are led back to the front lines of God's mission as his church. Because if we are truly a Jesus-pursuing church, committed to living as Jesus has lived, this text should stir our affections and set in motion some actions this week. Let's pray, and then we'll unpack this text. Father, we're about to open your word. The simple prayer, I'm just going to keep praying it. Give us ears to hear what you would have us hear. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. Give us hearts to respond in joyful obedience to whatever it is that you say to us. And may we leave here today more committed than ever to living as you lived. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 9, Tony two weeks ago ended in verse 8. I'm going to pick it up starting in verse 9. And it says this, as Jesus was walking along, Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Which probably, by the way, before we move on, it probably didn't set well with the other disciples because Matthew was a tax collector, right? To, to the Jews, Matthew would have been viewed as the scum at the bottom of the scum barrel, right? Because he was a traitor. He, was, he had sold his soul to the Roman Empire, and he was willing to steal from his own people on behalf of Rome. Nobody liked tax collectors. And this would have been a hard no from Jesus' disciples. It's really hard for us to equate what this would look like for us today, but we can try. Um, question, what group of people in our culture would be a hard no for you? There are some groups that when I think about how they're living and what they're believing and what they're doing, this, this anger right, rises up in me, and I'm just saying, what, what group is that for you that's a hard no? Who is that last person that you would invite to join us on mission here at Journey because in your eyes, they are the scum of society because that's who Jesus is inviting to come to him. That's who Jesus is inviting to become his disciple. And it gets worse, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, to, to which Peter is probably thinking, I don't even want to be seen with you in public. I surely don't want to be seen walking into your house and eating with you. A tax collector's house as a dinner guest? Yuck! No way. No thank you. And it gets worse. Not only would Matthew be there, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Like Matthew invited all the scum of the society, all of his buddies that were looked down upon from everybody else. And guess what? <laughs> Jesus went which meant the disciples had to go along. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to tag along. And I just wrote this down, and then we'll move on, but I asked this question. What if following Jesus means you have to go places that you don't want to go to a people that you don't want to be around? 
Now it gets really bad because the church crowd starts putting in their two cents. Verse 11. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, hey, Peter, come here. Why does your teacher, why does your master eat with such scum? The Pharisees just said out loud what the disciples were thinking, right? And Matthew's crew knew they were considered the sinners or the scum of town. Who knows? They probably even wore it as a badge of honor. (laughs) But don't miss this. Jesus was at a party with a group of sinners so bad, it would have gotten him in trouble with the church crowd. Like, no doubt, today, he would have been called in front of the disciplinary board, and they would be questioning, what were you doing there? And Jesus hears the whispers behind his back, and so he addresses the Pharisees publicly. I love this, verse 12. And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. And I can almost imagine Matthew and his posse pointing the finger back at the Pharisees going, yeah, healthy people don't need doctors. And Jesus continues, healthy people don't need doctors, sick people do. That's right. Sick people are the ones who need the doctor. Wait a minute. Jesus, are you saying, are we the sick ones in this story? And and Peter and them are probably thinking the same thing. Hold on, Jesus. Do Do you think we're sick too? I mean, I know why you think they're sick. They're tax collectors. Gross. But are you putting us in the same category as them? And then Jesus adds, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus says, I'm gonna need you to go back and reread Hosea 6.6. I'm gonna need you to have another Bible study and go back over Hosea 6, 6, that says, I want you to show love or mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. Jesus straight up looks the Pharisees in the eyes and says, you have gotten really good at religion, but what I desire is relationship. He continues in verse 13, he says, for I have come to call those to, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, Jesus says, you know who qualifies as a candidate to follow me and be my disciple? Sinners. In fact, it's a prerequisite. To be my disciple, you have got to know that you are a sinner. And then he continues Verse 14, I just want to add this to our sermon this week. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Now, I'm not sure exactly. Most commentaries have no idea when this took place. Was it a different day because it says one day or perhaps it's the same day? Maybe it's a question that's thrown back at Jesus at the same dinner party. Certainly fits the context of our story as John's disciples and the Pharisees were always fasting while yet again, here's Jesus and his disciples at a party eating and drinking and being merry. So they asked Jesus, what's going on? Why aren't you doing what good Christians do? There wasn't Christians yet, but you follow. And Jesus replies in verse 15, 
Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. You see, fasting was a sign of mourning and also hopeful dissatisfaction with the present state of things. And Jesus said there would be a time for them to fast again in anticipation for his second coming. But for now, the groom was here. And it was a time to celebrate, not mourn. And Jesus continues in verse 16. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Obviously, right? I just got to take his word at that. I'm not a... I'm not a, yeah, whatever that you call that person that does sewing things. I have no idea, but I, I believe Jesus here. And then he continues. He says in verse 17, and no one puts new wine in old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Jesus was announcing that he hadn't arrived to patch old holes in an old religious system. Jesus was introducing himself as a brand new way, a new garment, new wine, bringing in a brand new covenant, giving us a brand new command to love each other. Remember, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another and the world will know that you are mine, not by your sacrifices, not by your offerings, not by your church attendance, not by the amount of your tithe, but by your love for one another. And Matthew He's hanging on every word of Jesus as he sits at the party. We don't know exactly when Matthew became a believer. Was it at the moment he got it from the collector's table? Was it during the dinner party? Was it at a different time? We're unsure of when Matthew got it. What we are sure of is that he would eventually get it. He would become a man that would give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ In Matthew 18, 1, it says, for the Son of Man, this is Matthew, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. In other words, Jesus, Matthew says, Jesus has come for me. Jesus had come to save a lowly, sinful tax collector like me. And if Jesus came for Matthew, then maybe that means he's came for us too. And maybe, just maybe, if Jesus has come for us, perhaps he's come for that group of people or that individual that you believe is beyond his reach. The disciples would have never in a million years considered Matthew as a candidate to follow Jesus. And yet today, we don't have a gospel of Andrew, and we don't have a gospel of James, but you know what we do have? We have a gospel of Matthew. And Matthew did walk away from his old life, and he did eventually experience new life in Jesus, and he would spend the rest of his life telling the story of a God who left heaven to dwell among us and invite us into a brand new relationship. With Jesus, Matthew says, you get the better wine. With Jesus, you get invited to the better party not asking us this morning to become the life of the party, so don't get your hopes up. 
but I believe there is a message in here. We don't have to be the life of the party. I, I think we're being invited to bring life to the party. So how do we respond to a story like this? I think there's three ways we respond. Number one, we stop and recognize that we are the tax collectors in this story. That we are the scum or the sinners, unworthy of the invite extended to us by Jesus to follow him and be his disciple. Only by the grace of God are we saved. We did nothing to deserve his salvation. All we did was get up from the table when Jesus invited us to follow him. That's it. Number two, we acknowledge that if God can save us, God can save anyone. That there is no one beyond his reach. You see, we become self-righteous and we start to think, well, we deserve salvation and they don't. And we have to come back to the place and be reminded, no, 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 at the foot of the cross, all Jesus saw was a scum at the bottom of the scum barrel. And Jesus came to take that scum upon himself, that sin upon himself, so that we could have the righteousness of Christ. Three, our response to Christ's love in our lives is to extend his love to the least of them among us as Jesus has extended to us. Here at Journey, we do. We try to use this model. We haven't used it in a while. We haven't spoken on it in a while, so I want to just remind you of it real quick. But this is a model we attempt to follow uh, after to become more like Christ. Number one, three things, and then I will start to wrap this up. Number one, we must live among sinners. And I know that's uncomfortable. The more self-righteous we have become, the more uncomfortable that is. The church cannot isolate itself. We're in, we're not of, Jesus said, but we're in. We can't deny that we're in. We can't get in our little holy huddles and pretend that we're not in. We don't lock the doors of the church and keep us safe and keep everybody else out. The church cannot isolate itself from the world and then be frustrated that the world won't come to us. The command is to go into the world. The, the command is to go and compel or invite them in. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The command is to go. So who are you intentionally going to? Who are you intentionally living among for the purpose of them seeing and hearing the words and works of Jesus through your life? Church, if we are going to be a family of servant missionaries, we have got to go to the places where sinners are. And do not twist what I am teaching into some perverted religious practice where you can feed your fleshly appetite. Don't you do it. Don't you, man, don't you leave here going, Rick said I have to reach the sinners at the strip club. God is not calling you to the strip club. I will assure you of that. So don't use this as a license to go hang out with sinners so you can sin. Number one, we must live among sinners. Number two, we must listen to their stories. Live among, listen. We must Engage them not just for what we can say to them, but what they want, need to say to us. My old pastor always said, God gave you 
two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you talk. And we get that backwards a lot. We need to listen to their stories. We need to listen to their hurts. We need to listen or hear their joys. We need to listen for their wants and desires. We need to hear their struggles and their fears. We need to hear them reveal what their idols are or their their vices. We need to hear what their physical needs are. We need to hear what their mental and emotional needs are. We need to hear through their words, through the Spirit, revealing them to us what their spiritual needs are. We're talking, we're being intentional here. As we engage, as we live among, we're asking God through conversation to open our ears to hear beyond what just they're saying, but what their hearts are screaming. And then number three, we must love them by meeting their needs. We, we bring new garments. We bring new wine. We bring the better covenant through loving them as Jesus has loved us. How foolish of it is to sit in our churches and pray that the, God changes the world and then we never go out. We never go out and let God do anything through us. As I said at the men's, hey, does it not bother any of us that we are God's plan A for his mission? 2 Corinthians 5 says that God is making his appeal to the world through us. Does it not bother you? There is no plan B. There's no backup plan here. We're it. And so we don't have to, listen, we've got to pray. We've got to ask God to do a work. But listen, God wants to do the work through us. So we can't just sit, we gotta live among. And we can't just talk, 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 talk. Tell me, let me tell you what you need. We gotta listen and ask the Spirit to reveal to us what they need. And then when, this is important, and when the Spirit reveals, <laughs> we gotta meet the need. We have to meet the need. I tell this story, it's funny, but it's not really funny. One of my best friends in, in ministry, <laughs> I went to a camp one time and he was the MC. Uh, or what do they call those things that kind of, yeah, the director of the camp, and they had a, uh, this is, I hope he doesn't watch this. Um, they had a missionary in talking the last night of camp, and he was talking about how, how much they were hurting financially and how they were really struggling to keep the mission open, and he gave this whole big spill, and, and then my friend got up, back up, and the friend said, well, it sounds like what he needs from us is prayer. And I'm on the front row going, nope, sounds like what he needs from us is an offering, at some point, we can't just say, I'm going to pray for you. God wants us to be his hands and feet and go meet their needs right where, come to church. No, 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 no. You go meet their needs right where they are. Because Jesus desires that more than offerings. He desires that more than our sacrifices. And that's Old Testament, I know. That's Old Covenant. We knew. Let, me, let me put it in our terms. God desires us to go and love people as he has loved them more than our worship through songs and through testimony and a gathering. This isn't enough. This is good. This is good for my soul. It's encouraging But that's the point. It is to stir our affections towards Christ and get our minds back aligned with his, and then we leave here again on mission. You see, what God has done should encourage us to go out and continue to let him do through us what he's doing to us. Now, we know everything I just said, right? 
I've preached this before. You've heard it before. But this has to be more than a Bible study. This has to be more than a sermon that just talks about, hey, here's what you need to know about what you should do. Church, we must do something. We must do something. So I'm going to suggest something a little crazy, a little different. And you can push back, but you're wrong. What if every home represented here today went home this week and had a meeting, a family meeting, and put together a list of friends that are not yet believers of Jesus and then plan a end-of-summer house party and invite them. Not, and you're like, well, okay, yeah, that sounds fun, man. I have, I have unbelieving friends all the time over at the house. No, 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 no. This is a different party. This is a party where we intentionally pray that God gives us opportunities to hear and to listen to their stories and love them in tangible ways so that we can introduce to them the hope that lives within us. I know that what we long for most, what we want most, is an altar call at the end of a service where we play some music and we sing another song and then we just put a nice little bow on the end of this thing. But what if obedience this week is not a praise song but a party? We have got to take more serious our mandate to make disciples, to live within our gospel identity. So I am saying, here's your altar call. Call a family meeting. Oh, it's just me. All right, call yourself. Put it on the schedule that you're gonna sit down and you're gonna begin to ask God to reveal to you people in your life that's, that's maybe far from him, but that he wants you to start being more intentional in living among them and listening so that you can love them. If not, this is just another sermon. It's just another Bible study, no follow through. You leave, you're going, boy, that was good. And we come back the next week and we do it all over again. There's been nothing, nothing from what his word has stirred us with this morning. Nothing put into practice. We must fight through the complacency and take our place again on the front lines of God's mission of seeking and saving the lost. And if you and I are not seeking and saving the lost, we've become complacent. And if you're here and you're going, I am not inviting unbelievers into my home, you have become complacent. I am not going to where they are. You have become complacent. Three questions that I gave the men the other night at the men's conference Friday night, and I want to give them to us as a church in closing this morning because we need to wrestle with these questions this week, and these are good questions. If you're like, well, what are we supposed to say at this family meeting? Just a list of names, yeah, and then ask these three questions, all right? And just, hey, go into the thing asking, I asked Andy this morning, like, what nights this week do we have open? 
she didn't realize what I was doing. But I was like, okay, we got to do this. Like, I'm not going to just sit, get up here and then you guys do this and I'm not going to do this. We've got to do this. And so we're going to call a meeting and, and, and we're going to, hey, who are some people that are good friends of ours that are not yet believers? Let's, let's write them down so we can start praying for them and we can look intentionally for ways to, to live among them. Uh, and how can we listen, start listening to their stories as we invite them in or we go and, and be with them? And then how can we love them? How can we meet needs? How can we be more than just a, a Christian that invites them to church or maybe doesn't but just says, well, hopefully someday, you know, God will touch them. God will speak to him. Well, what if he wants to do it through us? And so here's the three questions. And, and if you don't have a way of writing these down, we'll put them out in the morning on our group page. First question is this. How do we love others as God has loved us so that they can feel God's love through us? How can we love others as God has loved us so that they can feel God's love through us? Question number two. How do we serve others as God has served us so that they can see God's love through us? We don't want them just to feel God's love. We want them to see it in tangible ways. And third, how do we tell others about Jesus so that they can hear about God's love? That's the three questions. How do we love? How do we serve? And how do we tell people about Jesus? The fourth question will be, okay, who? Who's our, who's our who? Who are, who are the people that God is intentionally leading us to? And it might be friends you've been with for a long time, and it might be the hard nose for you. It might be the people that you would not want to talk to in a million years. And this is the week God says, all right, it's time to go talk. It's time to start living among. It's time to start letting them feel, see, and hear my love. So God is not calling you to be the life of the party. If that's who you are, then be you, right? Just bring life to the party. Jesus says, I've come. Not that you can just have life, that you can have it more abundantly. Jesus is alive. So listen, he's, he's calling us to bring life to the party. His name is Jesus, and he wants to do through us what he has done to us. Let's pray. Father, we want to respond well to this message. We, we read and we, we re are reminded that as you daily just did life, did ministry, as you walked among people, whether it be the woman at the well or whether it be Matthew at the collector's table or wherever you were, you were always there, present, on mission, hoping, believing, allowing the Spirit to work through you. And now you're sending us to the wells and to the tables, sending us into culture, into society, into our communities, to be your hands and your feet. And may we not, we know this, in wisdom we don't go to places that we're not strong enough to be at. You're not going to lead us there. God, may we be faithful and open to be sent to whichever people group whichever friends, whichever the least of them among us that your hearts desire for us. God, may we become more intentional in living among them, being around them, not just for evangelistic purposes, but you're calling us to live among them, to befriend them, to love them as you have loved us so that they can feel and they can see and they can hear the good news of who you are and what you 
have done, are doing, and promise to do. Would you, would you help us this week not just let this week go by without calling the meeting and at least starting the conversation, starting the, the names list, starting the prayer of who you're calling us to and how we can creatively step into their lives and, and let you do through us what you've done to us for them? Would you do that? God, I pray that we come back here next Sunday and we hear stories of how you're already starting to work through this, through this message this morning. And you've already started to stir us and give us creative opportunities. And maybe, and maybe I can't wait till the day that we get to hear in this gathering of someone who's come to know you because somebody was willing to go and live among and listen and love and God changed them. God, do that through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the good people said, amen, amen. Well, listen, it is so good to be back with you. And man, I preached a little while. Okay, it's been a few weeks, right? It's good to have our good friends, the Dormeyers, here. Uh, man, they helped. They were here in the very beginning, and then they like deserted us and uh, moved away for work. And it's good to have them here visiting. And um, listen, God bless you guys. Have a great week. I cannot stress this enough. Call the meeting. Just that's the first step. Just call the meeting in your home. Have the conversation and see what God wants to do with it. All right. God bless you. Have a good week.